Bullshit is everywhere. Bullshit is rampant. Bullshit. Bullshit Filter the News. This is part two of our mini biography on the new Prime Minister of the United Kingdom, Boris Johnson, or Bojo, as they call him, or just BJ. I like to think of him as the big BJ. Joining me again, as last week, is Trevor Bell, the inimitable inimitable. Uh, host of Brisbane's number one podcast, The Iron Fist in the Velvet Glove. Check that out in all good bookstores, uh, because Ray is still on vacation in Scotland. So uh, here we are, part two. If you haven't listened to part one, go back and listen to part one. Highly recommend that. Here it is, part two on Boris Johnson. Who is the big BJ? What's his background? What's he make? What's his makeup? How does he think? What's his character? Where did he, what's his plan? Uh, what's his deal with the Brexit situation? That's what we'll be talking about. And we picked this up from where we left off last time, just sort of talking about his role as a journalist uh, stationed in Brussels, reporting back to the UK on the European Union. This is what he was doing in for much of the 90s and uh, 2000s. And uh, we're talking about the outrage that he was manufacturing uh, around how ridiculous the EU was. Shit-stirring, we might call it. But, but it, was a, it was a fake outrage that he would, he would use in these columns. And uh, Sonia Purnell was his deputy in the Telegraph Brussels office, and she wrote a biography on Boris. And these deadlines would come up where Boris had to... Uh, pen another, you know, explosive sort of article. And in order to do it, um, he'd, he'd have to lock himself in his room and work himself up into a, into a sort of a, an angry frenzy. And he would, um, he'd do it by repeatedly using four-letter abuse and a ragged pot plant near his desk <laughs> as a sort of a method actor to get himself worked up into a rage and then, and then sort of foam-flecked at the mouth. He'd then sit down at his typewriter and quickly bash out an article. But this is the sort of thing he had to do to sort of work himself up. So there was no conviction in it at all and he had to actually, you know, hypnotise himself or, or get himself into, into that sort of state. So that would have been interesting to watch. It's exactly how I get ready for podcasts. It's uncanny. <laughs> Uncanny, uh, but yeah, like he, these these stories, as ridiculous uh, as they were, started to have uh, an effect. Uh, they were popular, they were good for circulation for the Telegraph, and people started to act as if they were true. And this is this is what fake news does. It uh, enables. Uh, narratives to build up and for people to believe them based on fake reporting. And these things, even after they're debunked, last a long time. I had somebody, one of our listeners uh, wrote on Facebook yesterday 
something. I, I posted a thing about this report that came out from the, uh, uh, Australia about how uh, human civilization's probably going to be over by 2050. And one of the American listeners, I think it was, said, well, that's probably a good thing because Iran's about to build a bomb and destroy Israel. <laughs> and I said, really? Got any evidence for that? And um, he, he, no, he pointed to a 2005 Washington Post article where Ahmed Netajad uh, allegedly said he wanted to wipe Israel off the map. And I pointed out that that story was debunked over a decade ago. It was debunked in 2005. He never actually said that. It was a somewhat probably deliberate mistranslation. In fact, the uh, the the official Iranian language doesn't have the word doesn't have words for wipe off or map. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, it doesn't matter. Those stories get out there and people just uh, keep repeating them, keep repeating them. They get recycled. They get believed. And no one has the luxury that we podcasters do to um, waste time actually researching stuff to see if it's true. So they just develop a life of their own. And that was the case with Boris's uh, anti-EU tracks. And they, they sort of became picked up, particularly by the Tory party and and certain elements within the right, as well as the left, I think, in the UK that that wanted to change the nature of the UK's relationship with the EU. Mm, In some respects, maybe he invented fake news and his use of humour and his clever witticisms and not being sure if he's serious or this sort of buffoonery is an easy way to slide in um, fake facts. Uh, So... Yeah. In fact, in certain cases where he has been censured or been up on libel charges for something he's written, his his get out of jail free card is a bit like Alex Jones. Um, he goes, "Well, obviously, I'm it's it's satire. I'm being satirical here. I didn't mean it." Yes. I mean, anyone with half a brain reading this knows that I'm joking around. Yes. But they don't. Well, or people don't have half a brain. Um, which you know. Quite honestly, that's my basic opinion of the British. Uh, that you know, these these are the these are the people who uh, decided it was a stroke of genius to take their worst criminals and send them to paradise as punishment. Um, so come on, that's that's all you need to know about the British, really. Mm, it was a different world then, Cam. No, yeah, no, it wasn't. No. Ah, <laughs> uh, anyway. I'm kidding. Calm down, British people. Jesus Christ. Um, It has been said that uh, Johnson did not invent Euroscepticism, but he took it to new levels. Now, the proprietor of the Telegraph at the time was our old friend Conrad Black. And by our, I mean Australia's old friend Conrad Black, uh, people who were around in the 80s and early 90s and paying attention to the media landscape will remember him fondly. At the time, he also published the Chicago Sun-Times, the Jerusalem Post, the National Post in Canada, and controlled all of the Fairfax papers in Australia, uh, uh, The Age, the Sydney Morning Herald, the Australian Financial Review. And he was uh, later convicted on four counts of fraud in the U.S. District Court in Chicago. But at the mm. time, he said that Boris was such an effective correspondent for us in Brussels that he greatly influenced British opinion on this country's relations with Europe. 
So a guy who is deliberately writing satire uh, and putting on this buffoonish persona greatly influenced British opinion on on their relationships with Europe. That's uh, terrifying. Mm. Conrad Black had an amazing vocabulary. He, in interviews, would use words that nobody had ever heard of before and journalists would be clutching their dictionaries and thesauruses just to try and work out what he just said. And so he would have loved Boris just for his command of the English language and his ability to throw in Latin and and references to the classics. So they would have had a lot in common in that respect. No, I think it was was Michael Smith, who was the former editor of The Age when Conrad took over, basically said that uh, Conrad used big words to cover up a lack of intelligence. <laughs> well, maybe, yeah. yeah. Mm. yeah. Um, well, speaking of big words... Uh, when Boris returned to London, he was made the Telegraph's assistant editor and chief political columnist, where he wrote articles where he used words like piccaninnies and watermelon smiles to refer to Africans, championed mm. European colonialism in Uganda, and referred to gay men as tank-topped bum boys. <laughs> funny how Ray is funnier when he's not here than when he's actually here. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be a long enough show as it is. <laughs> Cut it out. I can't deal. Um, what, do you, what do you think of him using words like piccaninnies and uh, tank-topped bum boys? What's he going for there? Uh, it's colour. It's fun. He knows the British love fun and it's catering to his audience. He loves it. He loves it. Uh, if people use those words around him, he'd think it's funny. So um, it's colourful, entertaining language and he's a colourful, entertaining clown and he's got the smarts to use it in the right way. And it's not always – like I've just got one quote here uh, where he wrote in his column, he said, for 10 years we in the Tory party have become used to Papua New Guinea-style orgies of cannibalism and chief killing. And so it is with a happy amazement that we watch as the madness engulfs the Labor Party. And that's just a beautiful you know, sentence. Like it's colourful, it's using all sorts of words in there. He's a, he's a real wordsmith and obviously – fond of the English language and and like a tennis player who can play multiple shots, uh, he likes to just use different shots at different times. That's that's how I see it with, with those things. Mm. Yeah, but is that the kind of writing that you want from the chief political correspondent of your paper? If it sells newspapers and you're in the business of making money, mm. then that's what you want. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, look, I think you're right, and uh, but th- th- this is the problem with uh, the media. This is, you know, people, particularly Americans, um, I find, blame Donald Trump for people's distrust of the media when I've been trying to say, you know, the media built this for themselves by just publishing 
anything that would make money and not holding themselves to a higher standard, a higher level of integrity with their writing. And I think this is a this is a, a classic example. Well, so probably at the same time, though, Cam, there might have been newspapers that were holding a higher standard, but people just didn't read them then. Mm-hmm. So if you're going to survive, you've got to adopt what people are paying for, unfortunately. So I think it's, on the other hand, you could argue a reflection of what the the market is demanding. Well, yes, that's that's uh, usually the excuse that uh, people like the twelfth man would uh, make. Um, your your you know extreme right wing uh, capitalist friends, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you know the media is supposed to be the fourth estate. They're supposed to be holding everyone else to account and acting as a mechanism for providing intelligent commentary. They're not, they're not there to make a profit. That's the problem. The media, the media That's is just the way it is. And, and, and I can't ever see that being different. The media has a, has an important function to play in a, in a civil society it's it should not be treated like a McDonald's franchise where we'll just uh, change the recipe of the Big Mac if we think it's going to make more money. Well, there's another discussion for another day, Cam. If we're going to get this bio of Boris done... I mean- Don't fucking criticise my pacing when you're playing Ray Harris clips every 10 seconds. <laughs> Boris's first run at politics was in 1997 when he tried to win a seat in the House of Commons. He lost that election... Um, also, around about that time in the mid-90s, a scandal sort of engulfed him when a recording of a 1990 telephone conversation came out between Johnson and one of his friends from his Eton slash Oxford days, Darius Guppy, uh, was made public. Now, uh, what do you know about Darius Guppy, Ray? Well, I... He was a mate who who wanted the address of somebody and Boris was going to give it to him and there was a discussion about how badly the guy was going to potentially be beaten up and the uproar was over whether Boris should have given this guy's details when he knew that the other guy might be beaten up as a result. Something along those lines. Do I get part marks? I mightn't have all the names right, but is that kind of the gist of it? Yes, kind of the gist of it, um, but he's also uh, he's a British Iranian businessman, known for his role in this insurance fraud that involved a fake robbery uh, in the early nineties. Um, good friends with Earl Spencer and uh, Boris Johnson. So uh, yes, this recording came out that um, he, he was, uh, that he was talking about this News of the World journalist Stuart Collier. And he asked Boris to provide him with Collier's private address because he wanted to have the guy beaten up. And Johnson, on the call, agreed to supply the journalist's uh, private address uh, as long as he wasn't associated with the attack. Mm. So this is the British Prime Minister, ladies and gentlemen, the guy who was happy to have one of his fellow journalists beaten up for uh, reporting on one of his friends. How the fuck does that guy become Prime Minister? It, it, it 
it just almost adds to his resume these days, Ken. So it's it's there's no quality uh, control anymore on leaders. Now um, I, I I hasten to say that Johnson says he never passed on the information, and his friend Guppy ended up going to jail. Uh, Johnson dismissed the phone call as a joke. And again, there's the benefit of playing the role of the buffoon in public. You go, oh, come on, do you know me? I'm always, I'm always joking, always joking. It's always a joke with me. He knew it was a joke. Um, but It's very uh, handy. You can just backtrack if, if, you, if, it, if your comment doesn't work. Oh, it's a, you're right. It's, it's, it's a clever ploy. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, where does that get me to? Yes. So that that came out at the time when that when the publishing of when that recording was published, um, Johnson was reprimanded by Max Hastings, but not fired. Kept his job. Mm. What the fuck? A journalist agreeing to give out the private address of another journalist so he could be beaten up and he didn't lose his job, I guess, because he was good for business. Mm. Astounding. Um, then he started to make television show appearances. Um, people were like, oh, 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 that's a guy that we want to have on television. Um, he started to appear on uh, shows like Top Gear and Parkinson, started to refine this sort of bumbling, jokey, buffoony, upper-class persona. Did that for a few years. Uh, Conrad Black then made him the editor of a right-wing publication that he published, The Spectator, on the proviso that he forget about having a career in politics. He agreed... Did that job for a few years and then tried his hand at politics again. Yep. Well, you would fool on you for believing anything he says. You know, if you were relying on his word, you deserve what you get. Yeah. Uh, Conrad wasn't happy about that, but again, didn't fire him. Because, oh, well, you know. <laughs> you know what we always say down in Texas? Fool me once, shame on me. Fool me twice, won't get fooled again. <laughs> uh, so he, uh, he 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 used his television fame then in two thousand and one to win a conservative safe seat. I think uh, vacated by former television host uh, Michael. What's his face? Mm-hmm. What was his name? Do you have that in your notes? No, I don't. Um, uh, 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 shit. Yeah. Guy did Basil Brush? <laughs> this is British politics for you. <laughs> uh, I, I vaguely recall. Um, <clears throat> yes. Now, so he, he gets a conservative safe seat, uh, which has pretty much been his stock and trade since then, winning conservative safe seats. Again, doesn't want to have to work too hard. During his first term, fairly lacklustre performance as a politician, turned up to less than half of the votes being held in Parliament, supported the government's plans to join the 2003 invasion of Iraq, but later criticised it, uh, said it was a colossal mistake and misadventure, and uh, tried to back 
impeachment procedures against Tony Blair for high crimes and misdemeanours. So again, votes for something, supports it, and then when it turns out to be a colossal fuck-up, says, well, that was a colossal fuck-up and I knew it all along. Mm. Um, bit like Donald Trump again. Mm. Just um, Conrad Black described him as ineffably duplicitous. <laughs> that would be Conrad Black. That yeah. sounds like him. Yeah. yeah, yeah. He spent half an hour looking for his thesaurus, <laughs> thesaurus to come up with those yeah. words. <laughs> but, hey, he nailed it. <laughs> yeah. Ineffable, that's the kind of guy you want as your uh, Prime Minister, the guy who wants to get fellow journalists beaten up and who is ineffably duplicitous. Mm. Uh, but, again, kept him on because he was good for circulation. Mm. So Johnson then remained the editor of The Spectator, was also writing columns for The Daily Telegraph and GQ magazine and making television appearances and making a pretty penny in the process. In 2003, he was so popular that he was made vice chairman of the Conservative Party and in 2004 became their shadow arts minister. Uh, Probably had credibility as an arts minister because his first novel came out around about that time, 72 Virgins, A Comedy of Errors. Uh, have you read 72 Virgins, uh, Trev? No, I haven't, but I did read a little excerpt on it. Um, you keep talking and I'll find it in my notes here. So off you go. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a novel that's uh, about the, uh, the, the President of the United States planning a visit to Westminster and a Lebanese-born terrorist tries to assassinate him, and uh, a, a sort of a some sort of a tousled-haired, bicycle-riding, hapless MP, modelled on Boris himself, who, if you don't mm. know, is a huge bi- bicycle rider, very famously, like like probably the most famous bicycle rider in the United Kingdom, um, tries to foil the terrorist attack. So that mm. was. That was the, uh, the the plot of his novel. Um, in the yeah, the main character. I've got a little quote here. This is how it's. There's a little excerpt. Is in the fond imagination of one Commons secretary who crossed his path, he had the air of a man who had just burst through a hedge after running through a garden, having climbed down a drain pipe on being surprised in the wrong marital bed. And that's the character in this book, which. Obviously, it all sounds very autobiographical, doesn't it? It seems to be a description of Boris himself. Well, they say we, you should write what you know about, and mm. uh, he knows about himself. Mm. Um, yes. Apparently uh, referred to Arabs in the book as having hooked noses and slanty eyes, referred to a mixed-race Britain as being coffee-coloured, um, talked about people as being half-caste, pikeys, all of the usual sort of stuff that you expect from Boris. Uh, trying to trying to use language to get people outraged as a way of self-promotion. He's nothing if not a brilliant self-promoter. Again, mm. very much like Donald Trump, a master in the art of self-promotion. Mm. If you want to get deep on that book, the character in it apparently vacillates between you know, thinking of himself as whether he has a weakness of will and a, and a lack of self-control or whether he's got some sort of almost a death wish, disaster wish where he's wanting to ruin himself. So mm. is he just weak or does he want to ruin himself? And readers can then psychoanalyze Boris as to whether he's just a man of weak will or whether he's you know, got a desire to sort of sabotage himself. So 
that's the sort of deep reading of his book and how it might relate to Boris himself. There certainly is a sense of that about him, um, as there is about Donald Trump. This idea, like, oh my, I remember when um, during the, I think it was during the campaign, it might have been just after the 2016 American presidential election, somebody put out a video of, you know, Trump. It was like a, a, I don't know, a funny or die video of, uh, you know, Trump trying to say the most outrageous things he could to get himself out of the uh, election. Yes. Uh, thinking, well, if I say this, obviously my poll numbers are going to be destroyed. <laughs> but no matter how extreme or ridiculous he, the things were that he said, his ratings continue to go up. Uh, you get that sense of Boris too, like, oh, my God, well, you know, if I say this or do this, definitely they're going to get rid of me. Yep. Um But, you know, oh, fuck. Well, here we are with my chainsaw neighbor. Can you hear my chainsaw neighbor? I, I can hear him in the background just vaguely, yeah. Yeah, fucking loud in my ears, of course. Mm. He... he uh, Sits outside my window and waits till he hears me <laughs> podcasting, and then he turns on his chainsaw. Now, uh, uh, in November 2004, tabloids in the UK revealed that for the previous three or four years, Boris had been having an affair with a journalist at The Spectator, Petronella Wyatt, which resulted in two terminated pregnancies. Johnson referred to the claims as piffle, uh, but later the allegations were proven. And mm. the leader of the Conservative Party asked him to resign as Vice Chairman and Shadow Arts Minister for publicly lying. When Johnson refused, he was dismissed from those positions. Mm. Thoughts on that, Ray? Oh, obviously, he wasn't making the money, so they could uh, they could sack him in that case. Yeah, but but fascinating again that he's not only lying about this but when he gets caught out lying refuses to resign it's like fuck it i just lied like what's the big deal i just lied about you know uh, having affairs and having an abortion very bill clinton in uh, well, that sense yeah the thing is it it wasn't his fault because he'd been talking to some he's explained to another man once that they married he had to have a lot of affairs because he was literally bursting with spunk and uh when you're in that when you're in that position, Cam, mm. you know, you've got to give you've got to cut him some slack. <laughs> Bursting with spunk. <laughs> I want that on a t-shirt. Um, he was re-elected in 2005, uh, despite all of this, despite trying to get a journalist beaten up, despite lying about having an affair and abortions and all that kind of stuff. Uh, was re-elected in his conservative safe seat. Mm -hmm. And under David Cameron's leadership of the Conservative Party became the shadow higher education minister. Do you know what his number one policy recommendation was in his role as higher education minister? Oh, no, I don't. Wanted to bring... no, hang, on, hang on a second. I have no fucking idea. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> he wanted to bring back faggots. He's like, <laughs> what we need in education is more fagging, more faggots, more boy slaves. What? That's the problem with England today. What do you mean he wanted to bring in more faggots? What do you mean? Exactly what I just said. Back like it's his old, like you... his old Eton days. He wanted to bring it back. No, I'm kidding. 
Oh. I'm assuming that he probably did, but uh, I don't right. think he said that publicly. I mean, I wouldn't have been surprised if he had said that publicly, quite frankly. Right, right. okay. Uh, what, what, what did he want to bring in then? Uh, I don't, you don't know. know. You don't know no. what his major policy was. No, I don't think you, he had one. You've asked me a question, and then, yeah. you know, I don't know, and you go, oh, you don't read anything, Trevor, and then you just admitted that you don't know yourself. It was, a setup for a, it was the setup for a gag. Come it's on. tough as a co-host Stop. with you. I'm just got, I've got sympathy for Ray, newfound. Yeah. But yeah. Everyone continue. has sympathy. That's, that's Ray's number one uh, asset in life is sympathy. He gets people. That's how he, he trades through life on the fact that he has people's sympathy. In 2005, the Spectator's new chief executive dismissed Johnson as the editor. But and, and Johnson was like, well, I'm hard up now. I, I was counting on that money. So he managed to negotiate a, a pay rise at the Daily Telegraph raised his annual fee from £200,000 to £250,000, which averages out at £5,000 per column, which took him an hour and a half to write, but an hour of yelling at a pot plant, as you said, to work himself up. So, you know, you've got to factor that in there. Those pot plants are expensive. Like yeah, to probably re- went replace them. them. Yeah. 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 Oh, and you every so often when it was just covered in spit and, and, and all the rest of it. <laughs> in 2006, the news of the world, uh, not frightened off by the fact that he agreed to uh, uh, get, help one of their journalists get beaten up, uh, announced that he was having an affair, another affair, this time with a journalist, Anna Fazakali. Uh, instead of lying about it, this time they, they refused to comment and shortly after Johnson began employing for Zachary. He then presented a history television show, The Dream of Rome, and a book that came out. So he's a, he's a, he's a classics uh, nerd. He's a big fan of ancient Rome, ancient Greece, Again, this is an area where uh, I quite like him, uh, but I haven't I haven't seen his documentary or read his book. But uh, he's a bit of a history nerd. You got to like that as a history nerd. And again, I think this is something that sets him apart from Donald Trump. I can't mm. imagine Donald Trump reading a book, let alone a book on ancient history. Mm. I agree with you there. In two thousand, just just, just, just mm. sorry, just back to his sort of philandering. Are you going to mention any more on the philandering or? Oh, probably as time goes on, but I've got another uh, hour of notes ahead of me here. So I know. (laughs) You mentioned Max Hastings earlier? Yes, yes. Yes. So his former Telegraph editor, uh, he wrote about Johnson. He said, I would not trust him with my wife, nor from painful experience, my wallet. It's hard to believe that a man so conspicuously incapable of controlling his own libido is fit to be trusted with controlling the country. (laughs) That's when a guy who knew him quite well. Yeah. I mean... Yeah, which, you know, is the same as Bill Clinton, same as Donald Trump. Mm. This is, mm. uh, yeah. Like, again, this, it speaks to character. Why would you put somebody with this, um, this, this level of flawed character uh, and self-discipline in control of a country? It's, it's, it's astounding. Mm. Uh, anyway, in November 2007, he wrote an article for the Daily Telegraph during Hillary Clinton's first presidential bid where he described her as a sadistic nurse in a mental hospital. In fact, I kind of agree with him on that. I think that's uh, one of the best pieces of journalism he's ever come up with. And then in 2008, he was elected mayor of London and resigned his seat uh, as an MP. Now, uh, the... Mayor of London is normally uh, comes from the Labor side of politics, so this was a bit of a big deal. 
He kept writing for the Daily Telegraph. Uh, during his first term, he was accused of having an affair with an arts consultant, Helen McIntyre, and of fathering her child. Uh, this time, he, he didn't lie about it, and he didn't no comment it. He just refused to deny the allegations. So um, there you go. How many affairs... Is that in five years that we know about? Still yeah. married, by the way, to Wheeler, the uh, QC, that he had four children with. Just yeah. uh, running was, was rampant. That, was that Wyatt that you were just saying? Petronella Wyatt? No, that was she oh. was earlier. This is the latest oh. one, Helen McIntyre. Right. So Johnson apparently refused to pay the medical bills when his lover, Petronella Wyatt, had an abortion. And uh, the boyfriend of another of his lovers was left to pay the medical bills when she gave birth to what was almost certainly Johnson's child. So uh, he's an, a user and an abuser by the sounds of it. And listen, like, uh, I mean, uh, look, I don't know what British ladies are into, Trevor, mm-hmm. but uh, he's not exactly a catch. He's not exactly Hugh Grant when he was a fake prime minister in some movie. I mean, he's uh, it's like having sex with Ronald McDonald. I mean, maybe that's a, maybe that's a British kink that I'm not aware of. Well, he's charming. Women love charm, Ken. He's intelligent, he's witty, he's funny, and you're right, those things go a long way. I can attest to that. Uh, mm. I should I should not I should not be married to the woman I married if it wasn't for my <laughs> extreme charm, charm and uh, oral skills. Uh, yeah, they go a long way in life. Look, a lot of charm, uh, power, and just turn the lights off, and you're, you're, you're good. Think of England. That's, That's it. <laughs> Close your eyes and think of England. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, anyway, a pretty controversial run uh, as Mayor of London. And interestingly, this gets back to his lack of uh, firm ideology, did lean left on a few things when he was mayor. Uh, provided an amnesty for illegal migrants, uh, appeared at London's Gay Pride Parade, praised ethnic minority newspapers, banned London buses from displaying advertisements from a fundamentalist Christian group, which was comparing being gay to having an illness, mm-hmm. but also did some you know, uh, uh, extreme right things, particularly when he appointed himself chair of the Metropolitan Police Authority. Um, do you have any comments on his run as mayor? Uh, I, the comments I've read are um, a good front man, good showman. Uh, the Olympics came around at that point, I think, and there's the image I have of him is on some sort of flying fox apparatus where he was swinging around with a hard hat on and that sort of um, self... It was a great vehicle for self-promotion for him. Uh, lots of promotion op- promotional opportunities without a lot of responsibility and whatever responsibility he might have had, he would just uh, ignore anyway And because he's not a detail man. So that was my feelings was it was a perfect vehicle for a guy who wanted publicity uh, and uh, time in front of the cameras. Yeah, and in fact, the Flying Fox thing is a classic example. Um, he was zipping down the zip line with a hard hat in a harness, waving British flags, and he got stuck in the middle of it. He, he was promoting the Olympics, which had been won by the, the previous administration in London. He just he just happened to take advantage of it. He got stuck in the middle of this thing, big disaster. They had to get a ladder up to get him down, I think. 
And I saw uh, David Cameron referring to it, and he said, for any other politician, getting stuck like that would be a huge PR disaster. For Boris, it was a huge PR victory. He turned it into mm. a huge laugh and had a great time with it. And, and I think that says a lot about him. He can turn colossal fuck-ups uh, into huge you know, PR victories. He's, uh, he just has a laugh. Ah, isn't this great? And people are like, yeah, okay. Doesn't take himself too seriously. Yeah. Well, like Trump, he, he was able to recognise or he had no other choice, but uh, he saw politics as personality rather than policy. So while others might be beavering away on policy, he, he was more into promoting himself as his brand. And so he sort of sidestepped the normal way that things had been running and recognised, I guess, a shift that had occurred in the way people look at politicians. Yeah, it doesn't matter what my policies are. Just mm. vote for me because I'm funny. Mm. Um, I've, got this, I've got this quote here from another guy, Matthew D'Ancona, who said, his shtick was no longer an aspect of his politics. It was his politics. While the rest of Westminster operated within the structures of a 20th century political discourse, Johnson worked on his material like a stand-up preparing for a Netflix special. Mm-hmm. Mm. Which is exactly the same as Trump. I remember mm. reading uh, one of the biographies on Trump when uh, one of his political strategists early in his uh, campaign suggested he say something about, uh, I think it, it was either build the wall or put her in jail, whatever. What was his Hillary Clinton thing? Lock uh, her up. Lock her up. It was one of those. Uh, they said to him, you should say this. And he said, no, 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 I can't say that. People would be outraged. And But he threw it in anyway, and it got such a huge response that he kept it in, kept using it over and over again. It was, you know, if, if you can call those his policies, um, mm-hmm. they were exactly developed like a stand-up. He would try bits out, the bits that worked he would keep, the bits that didn't he would drop. There was no consistent ideological framework behind them. It was just what was popular. Mm. So anyway, uh, when he was uh, mayor in his first term, he uh, made himself the chair of the Metropolitan Police Authority and pushed for the resignation of the police commissioner who was uh, caught handing out contracts to friends, allegedly. Um, Was criticised for his response to the 2011 London riots. He was holidaying with his family and mistresses, uh, I assume, in British Columbia when the rioting broke out, did not immediately return to London, returned 48 hours later, only began addressing Londoners 60 hours later. Bit uh, George W. Bushy there. who's like, well, I could go back, but uh, sounds dangerous. So don't want to put myself in harm's way. I'll just mm-hmm. wait till it calms down before I show my face. He probably had some squeeze on the side that he had to finish with. Probably. Um... <laughs> uh, he uh, <laughs> he uh, uh, was a champion of London's financial sector during the financial crisis of 2007-2008, denounced what he saw as banker bashing, condemned Occupy London. Very close to the financial sector, Boris, and this ties back into the whole Leave campaign for Brexit because one of the... Uh, interested parties that were pushing hard for the leave vote was the financial sector in London Mm. because they're not happy with uh, a lot of the regulations and consumer protections 
that the EU has been pushing for hedge funds in the financial services industry. Uh, one of the reasons they wanted to get out is so they had more uh, 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 freedom in ripping people off. Right. And you think they're pretty united about that, do you, the, the financial sector? I believe that the banks were voting to stay because it was a bigger market for them, but it was the financial services hedge funds in particular and uh, some of these other investment funds that were pro leave yeah a lot of, okay. I, I read that the uh, the the leaders and shakers of the financial services sector in London were pushing for a leave vote did you read something different no I couldn't get a grip of of how that was playing out so I was just interested on in your opinion that's just what I one of the sources that I read um, had some Evidence uh, pointing towards that, yeah. Anyway, we'll leave that for the Brexit stuff. So, um, he was re-elected as mayor in 2012. Uh, his contacts in the media throughout this period meant that he got quite a bit of favourable media coverage. Again, another way that he's similar to Donald Trump, got a lot of positive free press. Mm-hmm. Because he's good for circulation. Now, obviously, his days as a journalist and an editor helped. Um, but, uh, well, you know, and he's still uh, a journalist <laughs> while he's the mayor. So mm. that helps. Sure, mm. He wrote lots of positive articles about himself in third person. Um, but, uh, yeah, free free media coverage comes with being this, this sort of buffoon that people are laughing at. Meanwhile, you're getting uh, free coverage. It's very, very clever approach. Mm. Right man at the right time. Like some of this is... A bit like Trump, people would say, oh, it was a marvellous strategy to to be the way he was. But in some sense, he couldn't be anything else. And Boris probably couldn't have been anything else. It just worked out well for him that he was the right man then at the right time. Uh, sometimes you just need good timing and good luck. So mm. in another era, uh, he would have been totally unsuitable. But uh, by the time he, he was on the spot, his stick was, was what was uh, going to win. Take it from someone who tried to launch a podcast empire in 2004, <laughs> Trevor. Timing is important. Yeah. <laughs> yeah you don't want to be a, a too early adopter. Yeah. No. Could, no. No. Yeah. no. Uh, now, as I said earlier, in 2013, when asked about the EU, he said if there was a vote tomorrow, he'd choose to stay because he was a big fan of the single market. Mm. Despite being the most prominent critic of the EU for a decade and a half at that stage, two decades, 20 mm-hmm. years, he said, oh, no, nah, yeah, I mean, I make fun of it, but uh, we should stick with it. Good thing. In 2014, he published a biography of Winston Churchill, The Churchill Factor, and a lot of the reviews of it apparently uh, mentioned how much he compared himself to Winston Churchill throughout the book. And this is where we uh, get the through line to Napoleon. Uh, Johnson's hero, I think, is Winston Churchill. Uh, Winston Churchill's hero was Napoleon. So, as always, Napoleon... And Napoleon invented the idea of the European Union. So, uh, a lot of connections here with Napoleon. Mm. Um, 
when he was campaigning, though, in 2016, he said there was an attempt to create the Roman Empire's version of a united Europe. He said Napoleon, Hitler, various people tried this out and it ends tragically. The EU is an attempt to do this by different methods. Now, yes, there's some truth to that. But uh, I think the EU is an attempt to unify Europe through economic agreements and legal agreements rather than military uh, means, which is kind of the point of the EU. It was designed to prevent war and unify Europe in a peaceful, uh, uh, with a peaceful approach, which is the mm. which is the point. Yes. Gonna, yes. You want to say anything, Ray? You are as quiet as Ray. Uh, you're just sitting there. Do you have a dog? Is your fly undone? What are you drinking? Limoncello? What's going on, Trevor? You want to divert into the into the EU and the comparison with the Roman Empire, and you want to finish a bio on Boris Johnson in, in under two hours. But you know, okay, uh, they're not waging physical war in order to coalesce all these forces, but you could argue they're waging a financial war to keep them in and to bring them in because Who's they're getting so big a, war? a financial war you could say Who's that, waging a war uh, well uh interests like the german banks and the germans within the eu waged a financial war against the greeks for example so there was a lot of coercion happening there so it's not just all friendly mutual agreement by negotiation where we're all one happy family coalescing together there's there's a lot of pressure financially applied on people as well so there you go yes oh, fair, yeah, and no. we and we could now talk for half an hour on that topic if you if you want to go down there but no we'll leave yeah. we'll get that we'll get that when we do the brexit stuff but no i mean he he's the guy that yeah. uh, brought up napoleon and hitler i'm i'm just commenting on boris's yeah, 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 yeah but you're saying it's now a more gentler friendly approach to, to coalescing all these forces and i'm saying maybe it's not so gentle and friendly and well, there's a lot of sort of may not I mean, be guns and yeah there's other things of well, force economic War is war, um, yeah. as I've said a million times on this series and, and the Cold War series. Uh, but, you know, 60 million people aren't dead as a result um, over four or five years as World War, as they were in World War Two. So, you know. But, Jim, are they happy? <laughs> I don't know. Bor- I, I don't know, Boris. I'll have to ask them. Uh, I don't know. Okay. Um, <clears throat> Boris is happy. Or he's certainly masking deep, deep pain, one of the others. He certainly comes across as happy. Um, now, uh, he didn't run again as London Mayor, stepped down in 2016, but in 2015 was elected again as an MP in another safe Conservative seat, which is interesting. Like, he doesn't go and try and have to run a hard political campaign, as you and other people have said. He seems to be relatively lazy and he's looking for the easiest possible victory uh, in, mm. in terms of politics. Never had to, so far, has never had to win an election. He's the Prime Minister, never had to actually win a hard election. He's just been pushed into safe Conservative seats that a wet dog with a note in its mouth could win and uh, was then a, dra- just a driver's dog no less made prime minister by his party uh, 
not a bad not a bad gig if you can get it. Mm. Uh, in a response to oh, then, then in 2016, he became uh, a prominent voice for the Leave vote. Changed his position in two, from 2013, where he was all for stay. Then he decided he was all for leave. Uh, when President uh, Obama commented that Britain should remain in the European Union. Boris said that Obama's views may have been shaped by an ancestral dislike of Britain owing to his part Kenyan background. <laughs> well, you play the race card if you if you want to. Yep. It's good. Use Oof. anything. Like you can just say whatever you like. Just a colourful turn of phrase again. Exactly. Good, good copy. Yeah. yeah. Now, after the Leave vote won, David Cameron stepped down. Boris was thought to be a shoe-in for the leadership of the party. Can we just backtrack a little bit? Yeah. So on that whole Leave and Remain, um, Johnson, I've got here that I think the uh, the actual referendum was in June, July, something like that. And May. Uh, May, was it? On February 20th, he hadn't stated his position and he um, – he was just holding off till the last possible minute to state whether he was a lever or a, a remainer. And he also had a newspaper deadline for one of his articles. And he was prevaricating so much that he wrote two articles, one saying it's imperative that we leave and the other one saying it's imperative that we stay. And then he thought about it and weighed up his options and um, then made his decision um, told David Cameron what it was and the newspaper then published the appropriate article. But this is the convic- this is the lack of conviction of the Prime Minister that he had, you know, two totally different uh, lines ready to run and he just flipped um, momentarily between them. The other thing is, I think, with this scam is, uh, you know, there's an argument that he never thought that the Leave campaign would win. But if he put himself on the Leave campaign, uh, he would appear as defender of British sovereignty and rights and be popular with the masses, but didn't imagine that he'd actually end up with the problem that they've got now. So a bit like Donald Trump sort of ran for president, not wanting to win Mm -hmm. by many accounts. Mm. Boris uh, ran a Leave campaign, possibly not wanting to leave. Mm. Yeah. By the way, you were right. It was June. And May was when they were supposed to have left by because that was the two years. But, yeah, the vote itself was on the 23rd of June 2016, in which 51.9% of those voted supporting leaving the EU. Uh, mm. most, mostly Brits and the Welsh. I believe the uh, Northern Irish and the Scots voted to remain. And it was the Britain and Wales that pushed the vote over. Mm. Yeah, interesting. So, uh, again, lack of conviction, did it as a bit of a lark and, uh, well, depending on how you want to look at it. And in his own self-interest because it was going to be good for his publicity to be the defender of British values. Mm. And uh, so, yeah. And if uh, the UK had voted to remain, he could have then used that as a talking point for years. Well, you know, if it was up to me, we would have left and uh, I'm a Britain first kind of guy. Make Britain great again. Make the United Kingdom great again. Bring back yep. the British Empire as Churchill would have wanted. 
Um, But as you say, kind of backfired. Now he's the guy that has to try and deliver it and watch as the world blows up around him. Mm. Um, So conservative politician Michael Gove, who was actually a, a friend of Boris's, during uh, this period after David Cameron stepped down, Boris was thought to uh, be the, the, the shoe-in for the leadership of the party, said publicly at the time that Boris cannot provide the leadership or build the team for the task ahead. That's what you want from your friends with friends like that who needs enemas. Uh, <laughs> the Telegraph, his uh, employer, called Gove's comments the most spectacular political assassination in a generation. Um, he ended up not running for the leadership. He supported uh, not Theresa May, but somebody else. But Theresa May ended up winning. And as soon as she did, she appointed Johnson Foreign Secretary in July of 2016. According to most of the analysis I read, it was probably her attempt to get him out of the country as much as possible to uh, sort of destroy his brand somewhat because uh, he wasn't a supporter of her run for the leadership. And also it would force him to take responsibility for all of the problems in uh, negotiating their withdrawal from the EU. When he was uh, announced as Foreign Secretary, the Prime Minister of Sweden, Carl Bildt, said, I wish it was a joke. So, yeah, not very popular with the EU, obviously, Boris. Uh, So a bit of a... Bit of a bad joke from Theresa May there to make the guy who had been making up shit about the EU for 25 years the British Foreign Secretary. Look, a uh, Foreign Secretary, I, th- I don't know. I mean, he's got a fond relationship with Piccaninnies and he likes watermelon smiles. So as a Foreign Secretary, he could do quite well, I would have thought. Yeah, yeah. Um, during this time, he supported the war in Yemen. By supported, I mean supporting the Saudi side of the war in Yemen. Refused to block UK arms sales to Saudi Arabia, a bit like uh, Donald Trump has done recently. Mm. I think Congress said no more arms sales to Saudi for the war in Yemen, and Trump vetoed and goes, fuck you, I'm selling them weapons. Don't care what you think. Uh, not that the Saudis have anything on Donald. That's, uh, I don't know, what, what gives you that idea? Uh, they got nothing on him. No no secret deals or blackmail files there at all. Killed a journalist, chopped him up and threw him in garbage bags. Sure, but uh, what's that got to do with anything? Good guys, good guys, the Saudis. Mm. Um, he did, during this period, back the Iran nuclear agreement, even after Trump pulled the US out. However, does support the US's recognition of Jerusalem as the capital of Israel and has accused the United Nations Human Rights Commission of focusing disproportionately on the Israeli-Palestinian conflict and Israel's occupation of the Palestinian territories. So, again, in terms of ideology, sort of a mixed bag with Boris, a bit all over the place support some extreme right positions on these things, but at the same time, not as extreme as Trump when it comes to things like the Iranian nuclear agreement. I'd be surprised if he actually had a firm opinion on any of that stuff. It just would have been whatever was fortuitous at the time. That's certainly the sense you get from this guy, right? Mm. 
resigned his cabinet position in July 20, uh, 2018 after Theresa May had uh, failed to get her government to come to terms on the Brexit exit situation. In his resignation speech, he said the UK was saying one thing to the EU about what we are really doing and pretending another to the electorate and agreed to uh, a 12-month contract to write articles for The Telegraph again, which was called Mm. a breach of the ministerial code. He was ordered to apologise to Parliament for failing to declare £50,000 of earnings. Any thoughts on uh, his integrity there? He's a complete rogue. There's just no doubt about it. Complete (laughs) rogue. His uh, biographer, Sonia Purnell, who uh, you quoted earlier, said that he has an ideological emptiness beneath the staunch Tory exterior. Mm. Yep. Uh, Former Mayor of London, Ken Livingston, uh, in an interview with the New Statesman, said he had once feared Johnson as the most hardline right-wing ideologue since Thatcher, but over the course of Johnson's morality, 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 fucking when he was the mayor of London, I don't know what Mm -hmm. word I should use there, Mm -hmm. uh, ended up concluding that he was a fairly lazy tosser who just wants to be there while doing very little work. (laughs) True. That seemed to be a good description. Yeah, right? Amazing how you can be a fairly lazy tosser and end up as prime minister. That's that's the... uh, England that we've all known to come, the <laughs> we've all grown to love. It's the way the system's been set up. Yeah. And now he's uh, one thing that you will, you and your uh, podcast colleagues will like about him. He's not a not a serious practicing Christian. Mm-hmm. So you're going to win points in your book for that. Well, is he going to do anything about it? The, no. <laughs> so it doesn't really matter. But yeah. Well, yes, but, you know. But yeah. the- At least he's not a red-hot Bible basher or anything like that, so that's good. He's not going to take them on a path towards a theocracy, you- unless it should suit him for some reason, in which case he probably would. I can never remember. Are you the Iron Fist or the Velvet Glove? Which I- one? I'm the Iron, I'm the Iron Fist. Cam. Right. So the, Scott, the- Scott, my co-host, is the Velvet Glove, and, and Paul is the 12th man. And so it's the- called the Iron Fist Velvet Glove podcast. You can find it wherever you get your quality podcasts. <laughs> At all good bookstores. <laughs> the uh, Velvet Glove and the Twelfth Man would like him because he's not a serious practicing Christian and he uh, is all over the place with his ideology, just like them. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes they're on the left, unless you mention America's role in uh, geopolitics in the last hundred years and then they all of a sudden sound like Donald Trump. Yeah, they're very sympathetic to the American cause, aren't they? Yeah. But I'm working on them. I've only had four years on them so far. So I want to I'm channeling, work. I'm channeling my Cam Riley and just trying to bring him around. Getting there. I'm, I want to work on them in the same way that Boris Johnson's <laughs> mate, Mr. Guppy, wanted to work on the News of the World journalist. I want to give their private address out to some yeah. guys that can go smack them around a little bit. That's how I feel when I listen to your podcast sometimes. Well. Probably how people feel listening to this right now. Um <laughs> He's still awake. His two hero, <laughs> his two heroes are uh, Winston Churchill and the ancient Greek statesman uh, Pericles. How much do you know mm. about Pericles, Trevor? Oh, uh, let me see. Hell are down there. 
Never heard of before in my life. <laughs> can we get, before you move past Churchill, can we just get a bit of a Churchill accent, you know, uh, impress, impersonation somewhere along the way here? So <clears> what, would, what would Churchill think of Boris? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> You've got a choice. You can do your Churchill, or you can do your ancient Greek sort of accent, one, one or the other. At some stage, you have to throw it in. <laughs> Let me say this, Morris. <laughs> Morris, I used to think Morris was the most hardline right-wing ideologue since Thatcher, <laughs> but I have come to the conclusion. That he's a fairly lazy tosser who just wants to be there and stick his dick in as much pussy as possible. (laughs) Pericles was the uh, great general of Athens during its golden age between the Persian and Peloponnesian Wars. Um, now, I don't think Donald Trump would know who Pericles is, uh, or Winston Churchill, for that matter. I'm not sure he knows who Winston Churchill is. Um, so, look, beyond this, the like the crazy hair and the, the bombast and the, let us say, colourful private life, um, I'm not sure there's a lot that... And, and the fact that they're you know, incredible self-promoters and their ability to get free press is extraordinary and their complete lack of ideological conviction. Mm. I don't think there's... Besides all of that. Besides all of that. (laughs) 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 Yeah. Yeah, like similar to Trump in those ways, Um, using racism and dog whistle politics in order to attract uh, 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 and encourage a certain... uh, segment of the electorate to get behind him because he's just a shit stirrer who doesn't play the game of politics. He's actually very different in many other ways. Highly intelligent, highly articulate, um, you know, I, I, I think a very clever man, Boris. I don't. Th- I think Trump has a lot of street cunning, but I don't think he's got a very high IQ. I think Boris probably does have a very high IQ, but a very weak character and is not a not a serious man, certainly not a gentleman, certainly not a serious man, certainly not a serious politician. He's not a man who has really devoted his life to making the world or, or his his nation a better place. It's he's he's done the whole thing just for shits and giggles and pussy. I think is basically my conclusion. Mm. Roger Cohen from the New York Times, one of your favourite um, mm. publications, Cam. He said, uh, "In Donald Trump, consuming vanity is coupled with consuming ignorance. Johnson is equally vain, but not equally ignorant. Trump's wacko meets Johnson's eccentricity." But uh, I, th- I think what you're saying there. Johnson, um, Boris Johnson, I don't think he cares about other people or his country at all. It's just himself. And he toyed with the whole, yes, you know, leave, remain, not not for what was right for the country, but just for what was going to work out for himself. And these sort of dalliances with different women at different times, it's it's all been about uh, a, a quick 
a bit of enjoyment for him and not caring about them, it would seem. Uh, it's he's quite – they're both selfish by the sounds of it and um, a little bit more charm and intelligence with Boris. But uh, at the end of the day, oh, you know – Potentially equally as dangerous for the UK. Who knows what will happen with this character in charge? Who knows how long he'll stay in charge? I was, I was kind of surprised he... Well, I was talking to some friends and saying, why, why would he take the job now? Because it seemed that that the challenges to, to May were just holding off because they didn't want to take the poison chalice of, of the prime ministership and be left with this whole Brexit problem. And it looked like they were just going to wait for it to really crash and then make their move. And I thought, why did he do it now? And somebody said to me, well, there's only like two months left effectively. So he can say, well, it's not my fault. I only had two months and uh, I'm going to do the best I can now, but don't blame me because I just was thrown in this at the last minute. So I thought that was an interesting approach to it because, you know, just watching the media over the last couple of years when they've been saying that Theresa May is just a dead woman walking and that the other potential challenges were holding off. It just uh, initially didn't make sense to me as to why he he made his move. But um, if you accept that argument that he'll run the line, that uh, he wasn't given enough time and hard Brexit was all he was left with, then uh, that might work. It, it might be a hard Brexit and he might, you know, as the dust settles or whatever, uh, say, don't blame me. Uh, I was just in at the last moment. So it be interesting to see how he he works his message. Don't blame me. I spent decades convincing mm. uh, my countrymen and women that they should leave the EU, mm. and then I was in charge of it at the end, and you know screwed it or, up. But or, don't blame or, me. Yeah, or he'll say if I was in charge two years earlier, I would have managed it much better. So you know, uh, it was because of her poor management. You know, it's a sort of look at my long, blame other people. Look at my long and glorious track record of successfully mm. managing mm. things. Yeah, hey. You know, the truth won't matter. It's just how he can spin it. And he's pretty good at spinning things. So um, the next UK elections are scheduled for 2022. Do you think he'll lead them into that election, the Conservatives? I have no fucking idea. (laughs) (laughs) Who knows? knows? And how do you you feel about a world where uh, we have the US and the UK being run by Donald Trump and Boris Johnson, Trevor? How does that Mm. make you feel? Mm. Yeah, I just accept it. I'm not outraged. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, Scott Morrison is obviously a, a morally and ideologically deficient clown, but compared to these guys, he's an amateur, really. It's so sad. <laughs> he, he is, but yes, but he yes. There's a well, you know, it's symbolic, isn't it, for us? Because we can, being Australian, we look at obviously our Australian leadership, and of course we look to the US and the UK. And you know, when you're at a dinner party or around a barbecue or socialising with friends, as you do, uh, when people turn to politics. Uh, we're all just shaking our heads and saying, how do we end up with this sort of crew in charge? And uh, it doesn't, it's just going to get worse by the looks of things. It's not like waiting in the wings are a lot of, you know, uh, much better sort of selections available. We're doomed if we do and doomed if we don't. Yeah, and look, we, I mean, we're over two hours now, so uh, thanks very much for that. Um, <laughs> 
I hold you, hold you personally responsible for that. Uh, the um, Look, I think the media obviously plays a large role in both the rise of Boris and Trump um, in terms of uh, dumbing down the electorate. But at the end of the day, the people are voting and uh, this is democracy. Yeah. Um, flawed, um, manipulated by the the elite and the media uh, and, and various forms of lobbies. But uh, this is this is what we've got. These are, this is the downside of democracy. Hmm. All right. One day we, you need to do an episode on on solutions, Kim. At some stage, yeah, because uh, we're outlining well, these problems all the time. But we need an episode my, on solutions. That's my book, The Psychopath Economy, uh, being published by HCI out of Florida. Will be out in January 2020. It does have mm. the last chapter is on solutions. What do we do mm. about psychopaths running the world? Mm. Right, well, that's Boris. Now let's get on to Brexit. <laughs> um, we'll do a little short, just a short summary of the history of the European <laughs> Union and the Brexit movement. Uh, I reckon we can get out of it by midnight. So let's, <laughs> if we quick. start now. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Trevor. Iron Fist <laughs> and the Velvet Glove. Uh, well, it's in. been a it's been a pleasure. Thanks. Are we signing off now? Is this what we're up to, or are we are we really launching into an eight hour Brexit? No, so, we're uh, we're signing off. Yeah, okay, I, all right. Yeah, well, yeah. yeah. Thanks, Cam, for letting me on your fine program. It's it's been a pleasure, and um, yeah, maybe we can do it again soon at some stage. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Trevor, and Fake Ray. <laughs> How much are you going to pay me for this sort of soundboard I've got here? Bullshit. 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 Bullshit.